0: Thanks for tuning in to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. We're doing our Best of series as we reran the podcast and also pull everything over to Cruise Consulting. We're going to have a ton of new podcasts coming out pretty soon. It's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, this is the Best of with David Bergeron of T3 Advisors. David was a just hilarious guest, and he dropped a ton of knowledge about the real estate market in San Francisco. Tons of great tips. I hope you enjoy this. He was, uh, I've had guests actually refuse to come on after he uh, did such a great job. So I hope you enjoy this. So, welcome to the One California <laughs> podcast, David. Da- uh, David Bergeron from T3 Advisors. Really appreciate you coming by. Scott, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, yeah. So, you are like, what, is it too much to say you're the king of California or San Francisco real estate? Or yeah, or I got first spot on.
1: I did get 100%. <laughs>
0: Dead right. (laughs) You're so modest. It's amazing. Uh, So David and I are friends through a couple, Christy Barnes, a couple other Mm -hmm. common friends. And we were talking one day and we were like, oh my God. I was like, I get asked tons of real estate questions by startup founders. And so I thought it'd be great to have David over he can answer every question that I get asked and we can also just hear how he got in the business and all that kind of stuff. Does that work for you? That's perfect. Awesome. So we'll start like how did what did, where did the passion
1: for real estate come from? Where did you where did you get you know what drove you to get into the business? Great. It's a, it's it's a great question and it's it's less exciting and sexy than you may think. It's um I, I find that hard to believe. Yeah, no, I, I was, I actually grew up, my both my parents are in real estate. Um, not initially, but sort of later in their both of their careers, my mom and dad both got actually into residential real estate. So I'm from Portland, Oregon, go Blazers. Um, and we, you know, I sort of grew up around it a little bit, kind of through middle school and high school. Uh, ended up going down to school here in California, went to Stanford, had a fantastic time there, learned a ton, realized I don't know anything about the world and have no clue what I want to do after school. Was that like the day you're walking down the aisle for graduation or was it, uh... it was the whole time? <laughs> I just lost, you know, <laughs> indefinitely. And so, but but I think what I, I, had, I had the good fortune of um, going to Stanford, playing football there, oh, having an amazing know that. time awesome. there. Yeah. yeah. And you know we were the best kind of you know five and six team in the country. I'm convinced. You know, did well, you two graduate. Year, 2004. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're a little younger. I, some five years.
0: That was in that period where Cal could never actually beat Stanford. No,
1: like, they did. Aaron Rodgers oh, was did? there okay, at that point in okay, time. Okay. It's, it was awful. So, so no, it was. Um, so and then after I graduated, I um, actually had started a co term program, a master's in communication, um, and actually with the focus in social media, which was pretty interesting at the time because it was very very new. Oh, and, yeah. Like Facebook was like just yeah. starting, and so that was. Was really interesting, um, and I ended up uh, getting drafted uh, into the NFL. You never and told so, me any of this stuff. I, you know, this is amazing. I'm, I'm humble, and so you know, there, I, so I ended up uh, going uh, drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. Are you kidding uh, me? Yeah, moved back to Philly. And uh, spent a couple years sort of like bouncing around the NFL and Holy had a fantastic what time. Did you play? I played middle linebacker. Wow. And then I quickly realized that I'm not super athletic or fast, so I need to teach myself how to long snap as well. I was
0: going to make a joke about that. Did you actually <laughs> long snap? Actually long snap. Oh, snapped. my God. Yeah.
1: And I actually I taught myself like the latter half of my senior year to long snap and then ended up. Actually being the starting long snapper for an NFL Europe team, um, the Cologne Centurions that I played for one spring out there when I was allocated by the Panthers. Wow. So, yeah, it was I was doing everything I could to stay in that league. It was a ton of fun. But I, you
0: can, like, make... I mean, guys, don't they have, like, a 10-year career in the NFL there long There are. There's,
1: there's, like, 32 guys that yeah. have a 10-year career, and, like, there's no <laughs> turnover ever. So it's impossible to break into. But once you're in, it's, like, a, it's yeah. like kind of the best. For um, people
0: don't know who are listening, the long snapper, like, snaps the football on a field goal. And so they got to, or a punt, and they got to snap it like 10 to 15 yards. Right. And you got to be super accurate and you can't choke. That's right. If you choke, you miss the field goal and you lose your job and the season's over.
1: Totally. You know, there's zero glory as a long yeah. snapper, but only downside, there's like you can only do things poorly that are identified by wow. your spectators or coaches. But in theory, it's a very like repeatable action that like you can master and guys do and they have a you know, fantastic career for many many years. Long snapping. That's amazing. That's good. So you did the NFL did and the then NFL. you had to get a real job at some point? I had to point? get a real job, yep. And my, um, my girlfriend at the time um, had moved, was, was working for a consulting firm and we'd met in college. It was actually, it's a really funny story. We were um, freshman dorm co-presidents and that's how we met, which is like totally dorky. But <laughs> we ended up, you know, kind of dating all through school and um, she was working for a consulting firm and traveling a bunch. Um, and had some family, actually, in um, in Boston. So, so Gwell, you're... That's how you meant yeah, Gwil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who used to be so my boss at Lighthouse. That's right. And so, she, so she's my wife's aunt. Oh, that's crazy. And so we're like, cool, let's do the Boston thing for a while. And didn't really know what that meant. I was, you know, now I could go anywhere. Like, I was, like, working on my next yeah, career, yeah. My, my, quote, unquote, second career yeah. at 25. And, yeah. And... and so we said, all right, we, both of us grew up the, on, the, on the West Coast and sort of spent most of our time there. So we said the East Coast would be cool to spend some time in. New York just sounded too scary, so we figured we'd give Boston a shot, and we had some family there. So... We uh, sort of You're like I want to go to the coldest place possible. That's right. Where is the highest misery factor <laughs> quotient on the planet? And that's Boston. So, uh, so we moved there, and I was like, just you know, trying to meet people, figure out you know what I could do for kind of this next career, and kind of what would sort of like fit my skill set, etc. And had a bunch of conversations with a lot of really interesting people. And um, over the course of kind of those two or three months, I was exploring different job opportunities. I got introduced to Roy Hirschland actually from Gwill. And so um, I went and met Roy who had founded T3 back in 2001 with two other wow. um, two other guys. It
0: takes a lot of guts to start the firm back then. Yeah.
1: 2001 corp- corporate commercial terrible real time. estate was terrible. Well, and of course, but they were they were they were fortunate to start in August so they had no clue what was coming in September. <laughs> and you know, we're like this is going to be great. We're starting this great company. It's going to be totally easy and then 9/11 happens, right? Oh, so I didn't even
0: think about 9/11 either cuz oh, yeah.
1: I was thinking startup meltdown yeah. and how tough that was. That was bad yeah. and then and then oh, my God. and then 9/11. So it was, it, you know, in a lot of ways, a, a really, really interesting and difficult oh, time Jesus. to start a company. But I, I will say that, like having having those guys go through that and sort of that be part of like the founding core of what this company was built on, gives us incredible, I think, fortitude and ability right. to like really, really work through difficult, hard times. Yeah, I, you-
0: I can totally get that because Vanessa built. Cruise Consulting by herself for the first two years, and it's like she's done every job. She knows how everything needs to go, and she's like just scar tissue like crazy. She knows all the tough spots, and like when that's part of your DNA – the next set of employees pick up on it, and they they, totally they're tough, too. That's and you right. only hire to
1: only tough people listen, or make it. That's right. You know? That's, that's right. That's awesome. And kind of being battle-tested, I think, makes us just that much better when things get tough, for yeah. both for ourselves and our own company, but yeah. um, mo- almost more importantly for our clients. Yeah. is like, we get it. We've been there. We've built companies through tough times. And it's like, and, let me tell you a couple stories. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so I met Roy. I sat down with Roy. We had a great discussion. It was one of those, like, I thought it was a networking meeting, honestly. I thought we'd, you know, he'd tell me some. He was introduced to me as being extremely well-connected to the venture capital community yeah. in Boston as well as the entrepreneurs. Yeah. And so I was like, that's cool. Yeah. And so went and met him and had, you know, this kind of, like, fantastic kind of aha moment where yeah. he sort of described to me what he was doing and what he was building. Yeah. I had no idea this existed. I would never heard of this version of real estate kind of services ever before. And, you know, two hours into the meeting, I was like, all right, this is now really That's interesting. Awesome. How do I work for you? Well,
0: you're also probably a competitive guy coming out of sports. No, no. And you're no. Like, yeah, <laughs> but you're looking for like your thing, and I'm sure people can already tell through the podcast. But you're a very
1: personable person, so like it's probably it's an it awesome was a fit. good match. It yeah. was a great match, and and Roy is you know he is the life of the party. He is a like extremely like inspirational. I want to go run through a wall for you, type of leader. So I that resonated well with me and sort of my upbringing, you know, kind of through team sports. Yeah. So I thought he was great, and and you know the other two folks were um, Mark Cody and Greg Hofmeister were also both actually college football players. That uh, uh, Greg played at at Dartmouth and Mark played at Harvard. So I was like, if nothing else, they'll at least like get me, yeah. you know, as 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 being yeah. the football guy trying to now yeah. have a real job, and so. I felt like that would, there'd be some, you know, kind of like some protection and safety in yeah. that,
0: you know, when I'd ask them questions. They turned out to be the toughest uh, yeah. critiquers of you, probably. Of course, of yeah. course. You know, yeah. so
1: so that was like the, at least sort of my mental math I was going through when I, you know, jumped right at that and, and jumped in and, in 2007. And, you know, and kind of the rest is history. I mean, we, you know, we sort of obviously 08 hit and that was like an interesting time. I didn't know any different at yeah. the time. Like it was just sort of I was like, this is great. I'm early in my career. It's, you know, it's all about hustle and yeah, kind of attitude and effort. effort. And so yeah. it didn't really matter that the market was good or wasn't good because I didn't know anything different. And so we just kind of plowed through that time and had a bunch of great, really interesting projects and clients. And I think, you know, there was it was such a collaborative type of environment that we all worked together through all that and had, you know, year after year, great years and banner years through yeah. 08, 09, ah, 2010. Awesome. And then we got to a point where… <clears throat> Uh, my wife was actually graduating from Harvard Business School, and we were at that sort of like crossroads where we actually loved Boston, and we were like we could we could have a life here and stay here. And I was at a point in my career where you know you start developing some great relationships and sort of the repeat business starts. Boston's occurring. kind
0: of a small town. Too. It's very like, small you, town. Once you're in, you're in. Like,
1: yeah, and there's a great community out there, and there's a there's a a, a crew of folks that I became really good friends with that play basketball in the mornings over at shad at hbs and and just that were like uber connected throughout that city you know from a kind of a finance and a tech perspective so i felt like we had like an establishment there that we could sort of lean on and build like build life on and have a family and and be bostonians forever um but also knew that t3 had like you know bigger visions and like large grandeur to really continue to build this thing globally and having my ties back to the west coast and and the connections back to Stanford and the desire to not shovel snow for the rest of my life. I was like I raised my hand I'm like hey guys like what if we actually opened a west coast. Oh office?
0: wow, you're the guy who did west coast. I'm the guy who did the west coast. Oh, good for you. And That's so, amazing.
1: So and you know and we we did a really good job Roy and Mark and Greg and I spent about a year coming out here, traveling every kind of six to eight weeks and meeting with folks like you and entrepreneurs and venture capitalists to make sure like this idea would work out here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and and number one, it would work. And number two, that someone else wasn't already doing it. Yeah. And, you know, so we it did. Maybe explain like the idea, like yeah. what is the idea? Yeah. So so the idea is pretty simple. I mean, like at the most fundamental level, like T3 wants to help build great companies that change the world. Like that is our sort of like headline um, you know, kind of, we rally yeah. the troops around that. that Amazing startups, right? Basically. And so, and from from our perspective, the traditional real estate model, from a services perspective, was completely broken. And it, the historically, it was built to service the folks with the money. Like it's the landlords, it's the asset managers, it's it's the big you know the big owners of these buildings yeah. and big portfolios. Surprise, surprise! Things are tilted in their exactly, benefit exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, what we wanted to do was actually to build a company that was. Uh, built for the entrepreneur and ah. built for the entrepreneurs investors and yes. basically sat down with folks who only worked as CEOs or only worked as venture capitalists or you know were bankers themselves servicing this industry and basically said if we could design a real estate services company that exclusively worked for you and the companies you build, so what would it look like? Get rid of the conflict of interest. Get rid of all the conflict of interest. Yeah. And, and 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 in addition to getting rid of the conflict of interest was get hyper focused on their business. Yep. So you know the widget of real estate State is is very commoditized in a lot of way. I mean, I think a lot of what we do and a lot of what sort of the mentors I've been around, guys like Ted Wang and others who have had a really good job, done a really good job over the years, like building a brand within a very commoditized uh, commoditized industry have been able to identify like an expertise and a niche and sort of the, they put in their 10,000 hours yeah. on a very specific skill set that no one can take away from them and you can't fake. Yeah.
0: I, I actually think so this is a little digression, but because our business is a little bit like that too. People yeah. think startup CFO or accounting is a commodity, but actually when you're actually working in the industry, and I'm sure you feel the same way about startup real estate, you see all the people doing it wrong, like uh, like almost everybody. And then you're like, wait, this is not a commodity. What, what you if? may think it's a commodity, but that's because we haven't explained our value prop to you well enough. And we haven't, like actually communicated the why we're different, why That's we're right. better. And then once you kind of internalize that, the sky's the limit That's because right. you can actually explain why you're different from the crowd who 80% of the time is doing, you know, a bad real estate deal without mm-hmm. even maybe even knowing it or messing up your books mm-hmm. and screwing up the
1: entrepreneur, screwing up the startup. And these are and and the reality is these are really important decisions early on in the process. You know, and you can you can argue that you know, a, a, a seed funded company or a series A back company, yeah. like, you know, well, what do I have to lose? Like, it's not that they're only signing up <laughs> 1200 square foot lease or I, dude, you know, I can totally relate. Have, right? I can totally they, relate. we only have like, you know, we have like $700,000 in the bank account. Like what's yeah. the big deal? Or and, our financials are so easy, right, you know? You know like, and, so, oh. and the reality is like, that is, that is the, like the, the like inflection point where you have an opportunity to like set things on the right path. Yeah. Oh. And if you can sort of build, like set yourself up, set yourself up for success yeah. in a way that you're kind of like, the way you're thinking strategically about these like totally. kind of internal processes. And outwardly, how that's going to affect your business, yeah. both from a recruiting perspective, from a retention <laughs> perspective, from a headache perspective, from a productivity perspective yeah. for you and your management team. Eliminate those distractions yeah. as early as possible, yeah. and you will set yourself up in a uh, way their competition isn't. Yeah, I'm nodding vigorously. And we have
0: a saying, we say, because we, we, we put them on all the right software systems, build all the right practices, and we say, we can you can scale to 100 employees now easily, yeah. without changing anything. Yeah. And it's the, same, it's the same thing. I mean, so So... With that in mind, like what are kind of the core,
1: you know, ad- core advice you give or core yeah. services you provide to yeah. get them on the right track yeah. for real estate? So the the biggest thing we've done is is we've we've invested in people. We fundamentally believe that you hire a real estate expert and advisor, and and what you're getting, you're not getting a different, you know, a product or a different software. You're getting like you know a head on the top of two shoulders yeah. that like really give you advice yeah. and and what we want to do is make sure the advice that we 're giving from our perspective is. Second to none. Yeah. And that there's no other master we're trying to serve. There's no other sort of interest that we're trying to sort of appeal to. And, again, back to sort of eliminating any sort of distractions. And, again, people are human, right? So if they're paid or incentivized to do things that sort of benefit them personally, they're going to do that. And you can't fault them for that. And I also
0: think, like, a lot of times startups are started by a team of fairly young people or fairly inexperienced in startups. Like maybe even they're an older seasoned team, but they're corporate people. And so they don't know, like, the conflict. They That's don't right. know that, like, hey, wink, wink, Mr. Real Estate Professional is getting right. a deal over here, on, and not, they don't really care yep.
1: what, what's happening with your yeah. deal. And so what we want to do is basically build a team that would, like, actually fight for the little guy. And it would go to the, you know, to the mat for that last dollar yeah. when, you know, when if you're working in an office that, that is, is sort of playing both sides of the fence, you know, you want to kind of play nice in the sandbox yeah. a little bit. And that's yeah. that's part of the business. And yeah. the companies have built, you know, fantastic business, businesses doing this yeah. for a long time. It just doesn't behoove our client base. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we want to do it different. So back to the people. And it really was thinking about how do we go find experts that are practitioners who have ran real estate at Twitter, yeah. who have you know oh. helped, helped scale places, you know, and, and been in finance at Goldman Sachs. Sachs and, and other big, you know, big private equity firms yeah. and, and technology Basically companies. Basically on the owner side. On I the owner side hear, hear that, yeah. and on the end user side. Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've brought in folks who have actually worked on behalf of technology companies. Yeah, so they understand, like, how the politics works around this decision making. Like, what are the challenges culturally when you do move? And how do we think about, you know, like, the little things that matter that people and engineers may, like, complain about. Yeah. And how do we just like cut all that noise out, yeah. solve that day one yeah. and and have like no sort of qualms or sort of, you know, reservations yeah. about what we're doing. Yeah. And so that's that's where we kind of get to this like it's almost like this outsourced real estate department yeah. for you. And oh. and what we don't want to do is pretend to be experts in things that we're not. So the, we have a very collaborative approach, which is when you hire T3, when you work with T3, you have access to our entire firm. Yeah. And that's, that's on both coasts. And, and each person we've brought on... I, I, it's, is that I, because you do a lot of startups that are kind of big enough to have multi-coastal yeah, presences it's both. and it's, things like that? It's, it's, both, it's both that, but it really, it's, it's really just more of an access to, to expertise. Mm. And what I want to make sure is that if we have someone who is just fantastic at sort of workplace consulting and really understands how to lay out and map out a team, and you've got a, you know, a floor plan of 5,000 square feet, how do you make Sure, that five thousand square feet is oh. set up as effectively as as possible to drive that the proper sense. collaboration. Yeah, you know, eliminate the distractions and make sure your sales team is super productive, right? And so we have like a bo- so you don't have the developer sitting next to the sales guy who's yelling into That's his right. phone. That's and, right. And, yeah, and so no. the idea is to like not let them guess and sort of test, but actually like provide <laughs> you know like historical anecdotal wow. that makes so much evidence. Sense. That so like much here's sense. what you should do. Yeah. It's been done this way before, yeah. and here's let's make sure it fits kind of yeah. what you're requirements are because every company is going to be a little different but you know let's let's actually add value to this conversation versus being a yes man or totally reactive and so that's where you know you get this bench of folks that really understand their discipline and again I I joke that I sort of you know we have this like Avengers of real estate approach which is like we have these superheroes that like have fantastic expertise and very specific domain (laughs) knowledge and I want them to be the one to answer your specific question about that not me yeah and so you really get this like network effect so it's not like just purely negotiating and Deal or finance. No. it's a lot of like actual
0: real services where you're absolutely. advising them and figuring out yeah. how to lay stuff out or what they can do special with a certain space. absolutely That's yeah no smart.
1: I think I think you know the, the reality is real estates are, <clears throat> it's a it's a pretty true market from you know kind of econ 101 perspective yeah. like supply demand really drives yeah. <clears throat> the price and and availability and sort of negotiation leverage in real estate and so you, you can, there's certainly latitude to do different things and, and obviously become strategic in a negotiation. And we you know, fight as hard, if not harder than, than most for, on behalf of our clients. But you know, that's within a certain band of opportunity. I think our vision is like the traditional real estate brokerage model is completely, it's defunct and it's a dinosaur. It's gonna die in the next 10 years. And what we wanna be doing is, is, is developing the next generation of real estate advisor. And that's what T Three is really, really out like to do. I like and it's, it. it's 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 what is it beyond just the transaction and beyond just identifying where can I find ten thousand square feet in San Francisco? That's going to be it effectively is commoditized today and will continue to become more yeah. commoditized as all these technology T- companies solve this in multiple verticals. Is
0: that because like you is it then become like who the trusted advisor? It's like it's that's the right. relationship, right? It's like oh, I just know to call David whenever one that's of right. my companies is growing out of their space or whatever, and then that you have that pipeline you have those relationships and so it's Absolutely. kind of like a done deal before it's even a done because then they know you do a good job
1: yeah and, and, you, and again that, that trust is, is earned not given you know and so that's why for us you know, we, we really over index and invest in our early stage clients. And yeah. we believe, like, that's where, again, the most impressionable opportunity to, like, set them up for success yeah. can be accomplished. I remember
0: you told me that last time. I thought that, because we do the same thing. We, I tell our clients sometimes that we're making a bet on them in the same way VC, because we only have so Certainly. much capacity. And so it's like, we only want to work with the best ones that we know are going to get, or not, you never know, but we think we'll get to a yeah. series A and a series B. Yeah. You know?
1: And you guys are doing that all the way through IPO. That's right. That's yeah. right. And you you want to sort of bring those resources and bring that knowledge base down to the most basic, you know, three, three folks and a yeah. dog out of a garage. Like, that's the company <laughs> that could be oh. the next, you know, fantastic, uh, again, back to we want to help build great companies that yeah. change the world. Like, that's where they start. Yeah, and so we've got to get all the way down
0: there. Totally agree. So let's, um, so this has been amazing. What are, like, a few takeaways, like a start, so, you know, it's going to be a lot of startup CEOs listening to this. Like, what are a few takeaways for them? When they're thinking about space, or maybe they're Mm -hmm. growing out of their existing space, like what's what's your hit list? Like, what do you tell them?
1: I mean, I I think there's, you know, in today's market, there's kind of an interesting time where Mm -hmm. you're seeing a flood of sublease space come back on the market. I thought
0: this was going to happen like six months. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Keep. I didn't interrupt you. Yeah. So 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 I think what (laughs) talk about why that's happening. because I have a theory. So it's a good question, but I I think there's a lot of theories on why it's happening. I think there's a combination of sort of macro factors from the venture capital side and, and sort of reduced investments that are now occurring kind of uh, you know slow down in q4 obviously a, a relative big drop in q1 obviously the public markets are having you know sort of a volatile time right yeah. now which people are that makes people a little little hesitant and you know to be honest every client of mine at some level is like there's the ceo or founder is like convinced the end is looming and is and it wants to make sure they're not oh the eight, last kind of taught one. everyone that yeah, yeah <laughs> so yeah you know and so so there's there's now this like The thought of making any sort of long-term decision is terrifying, justifiably so. You know, and if you're signing a you know you know two-year lease is is an an eternity for most companies, let alone a five or seven-year lease, which is what you have a lot of the landlords you know in this neighborhood trying to push right now, and you know you've just got this. You know, these these influences that are, you know, these the landlords and owners have been making a ton of money the last four or five years. Yeah. And they're doing a fantastic job of running and their businesses they yeah. got used to it. They got used to it. And you effectively have this sort of like pipeline effect where it's like, you know, the pensions funds and the teachers unions and the firemen are giving their money to venture funds who are yeah. funding the next great company. And all the money ended up in the landlord's yeah. pockets. I yeah. mean, that's like, so there's, yeah. you know, it's just it's like this wealth <laughs> transition that's overcurrent. So there's, Yeah, there's
0: been a ton of money flowing into VC, like $30 billion last year, right. which is a big number, relatively speaking. I think it was like $20 billion, like, in, in 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. 2012. Banner, so yeah, 15, so 50, yeah. up 50%. And then they're all doing late-stage deals. Yeah. And probably, if I don't want to put words in there, but like nine months ago... A late-stage company would have no problem signing a big lease no. because they knew they could just sublet it to somebody, That's right. or maybe they didn't even sublet; they just let it sit there because they're going to grow into it. Yeah. And now everyone's faced with these well, hard decisions. Yeah, And now
1: you've got so you've got you know kind of almost two and a half million square feet of available space on the sublease market. That's up fifty percent, wow. up fifty percent wow. in the last in the last quarter. Yeah, so you're seeing kind of this flood occur. And, you know, we're almost back to 09 levels that were around 3 million square feet of sublease space in San Francisco. Wow. You know, we're not no, – no, we're close, fortunately. The, to the prices are, are still way up, though. Prices the, are still yeah. up. The 01 levels were close to 9 million square okay. feet. So, yeah, like, we're that. certainly not there yet, which yeah. is good. And, you know, I think there's you'll, – you'll find, you know, some traditional folks will sort of say, oh, well, this was all sort of anticipated and, and, and fixed um, growth that a lot of these higher – you know, higher later stage companies were taking – um, to grow into over time so a lot of it was even planned before anything had occurred there's some truth to that and I think that that's that, that's an absolutely valid argument but I will say that you know once the once there's companies that are having difficulty fundraising again and or missing kind of their sales metrics and have to start be getting creative with their cash yeah. they're going to be the first ones to say i know I signed a lease of 75 dollars a square foot I'll give it to you for 50. Yeah. Because I can get out of my 45,000 square yeah. foot lease and down to the 12,000 square foot that yeah. I really need and still make out better than I yeah. am from a cash yeah. flow perspective. Yeah. And Some so costs. So, so, cost. so that, but you kind of get the tipping point there is, you know, once the sublease rates fall be, fall below the direct market rates around kind of that 25 to 30% discount rate, that's when the whole thing starts to become. Suspicious oh. and that 's when you start to have this like, okay, now, despite big landlords have had, you know, having great banner years the last four or five years, that delta starts to become a real delta, and that 's when I know we 've made a lot of money and we, we can hold our top rates on our best buildings for nine, twelve, fifteen months at at, at rates that may not even be justified from from the, from the demand side of the market. But we we can hold that as long as possible. At a certain point, that breaks, yeah. and then the market actually starts to turn. Wow! And you have you have a de- you know a decrease in in some stuff. Then the it gets after. pretty interesting, right? Then Cause it cause gets great
0: because your startups come to you and they this. say, yes. "Hey, should I sublease mm-hmm. or should I actually sign a new lease?" Yes. And, mean, and, and the
1: answer it sounds like right now would be sublease. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, there's, the, the, the beauty is there's been there is more gorgeous office space, tech friendly beautiful polished concrete you know amazing yeah. furniture <laughs> that's <laughs> you know concrete. like you know views of, of the bay and and the, the, the trans bay terminal this stuff there's a, a ton of awesome space out there that's been built the last four or five years yeah. it's like Go leverage that. Yeah, Don't invest yeah. your own money or your own yeah. investor's money into doing that yourself. Because yeah. you, that's a, you know that's the capital cost that you can't take with you. Yeah, that landlord totally is is going to keep it, and yeah. there's no way you're going to see the end of a, the five year lease. Probably, yeah. you're going to die, yeah. or your company's going <laughs> to triple. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. so that's you know the, the. Can you talk about that for a second? Like, how do
0: startups get out of their lease if they are growing super fast? Like, I think a lot of, this is a question I get all the time. Like oh, gosh, we signed a lease yep. that's three years long, and, but we've already outgrown it in six months. Like, yeah. what do we do? I mean,
1: so, so you always want to make sure, and want, back to kind of your sort of advice and tips, like one of the most important things for tech companies to have is, like, is have the most aggressively fantastic sublease language you can get in your lease. Yeah. And there's different varying levels of what that means. Mm-hmm. But at the most basic level, you need to have the ability to sort of transfer or sublease the rights of your space yep. without the landlord encumbering your ability to do that. That may be via acquisition. That may be via, you know, you go out of business. Mm-hmm. That may be, you know, via you're just, you need to, to double your space and you still have remaining terms. So you really need that flexibility as you continue to grow. And it's one of the most important deal terms yeah, yeah, in a lease yeah, that you yeah. really need to make sure you've got.
0: And landlords are okay with that, right? Yeah, or I
1: mean, 95% of landlords yeah. will always give you some version of, of sublease okay. language. Now, again, you can get more aggressive on things like profit splits. You know, if you signed a lease four or five years ago and you signed a seven, 10 year deal, you may be in at 22 oh, bucks a so Oh, you're foot.
0: making money. And now I you're didn't like, oh my that. God,
1: like, the, you know, the market's now 65 70 for my space. Yeah. Now, some landlords will say, we want 100% of those profits. Some landlords won't ask for it and actually give you 100% of those profits. Wow. Market standard right now in San Francisco is to split those profits 50 50. That seems after fair. After netting yeah. out sort of transactional costs yeah. and brokerage fees, et cetera. That so, makes sense. So, you know, but but that's an important thing to have in there yeah. because that gives you real value and it yeah. also gives you leverage if you want to turn terminate right yeah. so you say fine I've got another three years off my lease I need to double my space yeah you I'll give you the space back I want you to rip my lease yeah. you know I'm Ten dollars under market, you can lease this, and no problem. And it's great fine. space, yeah. and very often you'll have a landlord if they feel like there's they've got a burden hand and have the ability to su- to lease it to someone else at a higher rate and not have to split the profits with you as yeah. the, as the tenant. Yeah, great, they're going to do that, and they can lock that new tenant to a longer that's right. lease. Yeah, that's right. So so it kind of gets back to you know as long as the rates are rising, everyone's yeah. got a lot of flexibility, right? <laughs> kind of back yeah. to like the yeah. you know <laughs> the housing crisis yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, um, but it you know so that's the correction will occur here yeah. shortly, and that's yeah. where. The realities of subleasing at a profit, in my mind, will become few and further yeah, between, yeah, yeah, and those opportunities yeah. will be tougher to find. Yeah. So, but it's good for the startups in that they'll be able to find awesome sublease right. deals. The other thing I would say that we always tell our early stage companies is like, take less space than you think you need. Interesting. Interesting. always, easier, Interesting. It's always easier to find someone to backfill or a buddy to like come shack up with you, or but if you if you if you, if you being tight and being cramped is actually really positive. From an environmental like perspective, for like most that. companies, like to feel like there's some hustle required. Like we got to still earn it. You're we're in the bunker ride. together. Yeah, and yeah. there's a lot of energy that's. I really like that. Head.
0: That's a really and good.
1: So, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, you need 150 square feet a person, and you should think about extrapolating out three to five years of your growth plan. And like, well, I know you're 20 people a day, but we should probably take you know 18,000 yeah. feet. And you're like, well. No, you shouldn't yeah. because, like, that's insane. Yeah. And, like, the amount of cash you'll be burning, you know, in those first year or two or three until you actually get to, like, sort of the tipping point of, like, this is actually the right size yeah, space yeah, yeah. can be really dangerous. Yeah. And so, again, it can- take whatever you think you're, you need and yeah. chop, you know, 25%, 30% off the top and find something that's like that that's size. That's really good advice. And especially, like, I think that's probably – Counter to what a lot of people
0: say, probably because again most you know people in the real estate industry are on the landlord' side, so they want you to take more space, whereas like you 're startup centric. You're, you're actually like, hey, I've seen a lot of startups be successful. Absolutely. The ones that are successful, they're living, breathing, sitting next to each other, in the
1: bunker together. And that's what makes them and, successful. And there's, you know, there, there are a few things more exciting to your company from a cultural perspective than to have to move every 12 months because you're doing so damn well. Yeah, that's like, a good holy point. holy shit, we grow out our space again. We, like, we are again. crushing it. Uh, Guess what, guys? We get new space. Yeah. And like, yeah, there's some downtime and some disruption. But that is like far easier to solve for. Not with like than... the cloud and all that kind of stuff now.
0: It's like, yeah, so we don't even have so any mobile. physical. The only physical infrastructure. Fr- infrastructure we have are
1: tables and computers yeah everything else is in the cloud well, it's it's yeah. like by tomorrow morning you guys be gone we're not you carting know, so. a data room across no. the street you know which, which really changed yeah. the flexibility yeah. and so again like even if you're signing a longer term lease now obviously you have to deal with the liability and like yeah. you got to find someone to sublease it but again yeah. if things are going well and you're taking a you know 10 or 20 percent haircut on your rent yeah but you're 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 killing your numbers like you'll happily do that yeah you yeah. know versus signing up for four times the space you need day one and now having to fire you know six sales guys because yeah. you can't afford to like Meet payroll yeah, next month. T- totally, like that sucks. Yeah.
0: So if I'm going to summarize the b- ability to sublease, mm-hmm. like friendly language for yourself. Mm-hmm. Also, the I think this is super smart. Like, take less space than you think you need. Like, it sounds like you said fifteen, twenty totally. percent haircut, something like yeah. that. Those are that's really good advice. And then also, like, look at subleases if you're new, right? Yep. Like, if you're a new client of David, you're gonna you are going you should not be thinking about subleasing. Right. Not even doing a direct. Deal. And
1: I think the third thing I would say is you want to be very careful around back to kind of your world, which is security deposits. Yes. And, and yeah. really
0: being, you know... That's money you'll never get back, folks.
1: Yeah. And so, so you know, letters of credit are actually a good thing from a tenant's perspective. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of clients sometimes don't understand that. But if you... There's some local owners around here that may or may not be in good financial standing in the next three to five years. And if they BK... Your sub, your, oh. your deposit may be gone if it's, not, if it's not a letter of credit.
0: Huge point. So there's
1: protection on both ends. So and- for
0: folks who understand that, they know that. you When you're doing a letter of credit, oftentimes the startup will actually put like 50K. It's, it's basically collateralized by the bank. So the bank will sub, divide it out into a new bank account and say, like, this is our $50,000 cash that backs a letter of credit. Right. The bank will then write the letter of credit to the landlord. And what David's saying is... If you just gave that landlord your cash, the bank is going to fight for it. The bank's not going to mess around, right? That's like right. the bank is a, is a big player. They have legal teams, all that kind of stuff. If the landlord goes bankrupt and you gave them your cash instead of a letter of credit, that cash is probably
1: gone. Well, you end up in bankruptcy court and yeah. number 17 on the yeah, list. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. you're an unsecured creditor. You're right. not going to get it. Hmm. Yeah, you're not no, going to get so, it back. so it's gone. That's a phenomenal point. And by the way, it, 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 I, I've also had landlords say, no, no, I want cash. And I'm like, no, you don't. Because if, if this company goes out of business, they actually have the same problem. They do, but am I? I've... I've been through like bankruptcy
0: with companies and the landlords are just like, the, it's like the, they don't respond to anything yeah, in an effort I mean, to, yeah, 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 so yeah, they can, yeah, they yeah, can yeah. sort of like skirt yeah. the law, which is yeah. also <laughs>
1: suspicious, but, but yeah, but I would say it's definitely skirting the law. Yes. But I, I think from a, from an argument perspective that I always make again, back to securitizing like the company yeah. and my, my client yeah. side is it actually behooves both sides. Yeah. And I, you know, there's a small service fee, uh, service fee to set those things up, but it's I think they're totally, well worth, totally it. negligible. They're well yeah. worth. It. So, but being, being very clear and aware early on in the process, what that security deposit may look like because yeah. I've seen deposits get north of 12 months in the city as of late oh, for some of these larger clients that, you know, you have landlords investing big dollars to build up the space. That's real money. And if you're signing a big lease at a high rate, that can be millions of dollars you need to park. and yeah. that's You need to know that before you get to the execution of the lease yeah. and are, you know, caught off guard It's also
0: going to be something that like you have to work into your fundraising plan. Absolutely. That's, that's really. Yeah. Um, okay. Those three awesome tips cool what's like we're kind of wind up here but like what's something what's like you know your constituents are the startup founders and then like venture capitalists because they're really backing the 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 companies what's something that makes the vc like when you go meet with vcs like what do you tell them that makes them really happy is there like a i mean all this this is these three points are really good advice but like is there something that the vcs that just like they get that little smile
1: in their face, you know, they love they love to hear that the end is near oh, for yeah. the landlords it's the, it's, and, and that yeah. the market's going to crash yeah. and, and space will be cheap. So that's you know they that's an that's I'm an sure easy win. Yeah. when we can start talking about kind of why that may be yeah. happening and, and they got to quit you know quit writing checks. And I've even had landlords ask for VCs to actually guarantee the lease of the portfolio company, which never is gonna insane. Happen. Never going to happen. Oh, my other last point: never, ever, ever, ever personally guarantee a lease yes. as a founder. Yes, yes. that is great like, point. Crazy, or, yeah, you don't want to and personally guarantee anything. No, but, you don't, know, but especially not a lease. because yeah. it, And it's absolutely not market, and don't let anyone ever tell you it is. Yeah, Because um, awesome. it's insanity. Yeah. Um, You're right, though. Like, and, and
0: a lot of venture capitals have been doing it for a long time. And so like back in, people don't know this, but back in 010, 0203, it was actually driving, the leases were driving a lot of companies into bankruptcy. Yep. Because the company would actually, like, they would fire a big group, you know, they cut, and they would be healthy again. But they have this huge lease payment, and so the V—that was the first time the VCs got really scarred. Yep. and so they think about that. They remember yep. fifteen years ago. Yep. so I'm sure that does make them happy. Yeah, um,
1: I think the other side that, that the VCs often like to hear about is, you know, there's also this way to kind of like you know leverage your network in a way that allows you to sort of cohabitate together. Yes. and I think what you're seeing—the WeWork's of the world and Rocket Space—and there's you know there's. A bunch of really great examples of businesses being built on the fact that we are as an economy changing the way we work Yeah. and there's this new movement on people thinking about their workspace and the ability to be mobile yeah. and the ability to not be, you know, saddled with a big long-term lease and so thinking about at the early stage, you know working out of, you know, either a friend's office or like you guys have done here shacking up yeah. with another company yeah. is a really, really smart place to start and yeah. again, talk about like creating no overhead or exposure yeah. is, you know, signing month-to-month lease you know in a, in, until you 're a team of you know even thirty, forty, fifty people, you can make that work and, and frankly i 'm seeing a lot of our big clients that are going into new markets and setting up in in London or in Tokyo or Singapore that say we 're going to establish a new sales team there we 're a thirty billion dollar public traded company we could certainly go sign our own lease, but I love the flexibility and yeah. test a market. You know, when you're in a new market, to understand exactly where you want to be, what you want your setup to be, what the demographics look like, and sort of make sure you really nail it. So, we can take some of those learnings that are working really well at scale for big tech companies and bring them down to the local startups. great point.
0: I also think there's a huge cultural benefit to, like, working with another group. You share best practices like crazy. Like, ThoughtBot has taught us so much about, like, marketing and web design. And then we actually refer a ton of clients over to ThoughtBot. Mm -hmm. And our clients, the clients who actually work with ThoughtBot are so happy. It's like unbel- it's mm-hmm. like the greatest
1: thing ever. So I, I, I'm a huge fan of that. We, so and, and one quick plug for something we're doing that's really interesting yeah. is, you know, at the most basic level, like real estate's a commodity we work in. Yeah. And for so long, none of the other sort of competitors of ours have ever, like, sort of leveraged that commodity yeah. the same way attorneys give free legal advice. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, investors will make personal investments. Yeah. So we... Three or four years ago, decided to open what we're calling – I mean, there are these studio concepts that we have in Boston. Palo Alto owner opening here in San Francisco in May – and the idea is to basically bring that ecosystem together, right? So you talk about it's kind of that like cross-pollination being productive for any company. It's to get sort of thought leaders both from the venture side and from kind of like EIR technology side, yeah. along with we have some design folks and like really kind of bringing these folks together to work together. And, I mean, we, and we've seen it work. And yeah. we – I mean, we have – we had um, a member in our Palo Alto studio – literally identify a venture investor and get their Series A landed for $10 million from a top, like actually arguably the top venture capital firm in the world because of their involvement in the studio. Wow. Like they met that person at an event we hosted. That is pretty awesome. And so there's just some great, you know, like serendipity that occurs when you get these people together that have sort of mutual like friends, circles and interest, desires and goals sort of working together and again you can't force it you can't ever put a number to it yeah. and, and and assess a timeline on when when's the roi going to yeah. be for being yeah. a part of the studio but that it you happens. know we've got dozens of examples of that that stuff happening and, and back to again like finding friends that you can work with and work for in a way that doesn't distract your kind of your core business yeah. can be really additive and that's, helpful during the early stages that's phenomenal
0: okay we got to wrap it up you got to go uh
1: real quick where can people find you uh, you can find so websites uh, just t3advisors.com uh, my email address is david at t3advisors.com and um, yeah that's easiest awesome David Bergeron t3advisors thank you so much you dropped a ton
0: of knowledge here this is awesome love it thanks God. bye see ya